Hey friends, welcome back to It Takes a Village, a podcast of Healing Hands International. We are based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Whether you're a first-timer or a veteran listener, we're grateful you've made time in your day to tune in and stop by to see what's happening here. We have a fantastic guest joining us for this episode. Her name is J.L. Gerhardt. J.L. is an author, a storyteller, a world traveler, and so much more, which you're going to hear about. She's also been connected to us here at Healing Hands as a keynote speaker at our annual Women of Hope Conference. Uh, She stopped by the office recently so we could record this interview, and I'm excited that our very own Elisa Van Dyke got behind the mic for the first time to interview J.L., Elisa is a vice president here on staff and has her hand in the planning and execution of the Women of Hope Conference. So we thought it'd be great if they had a conversation about JL's journey of faith and her family and her career. So whether you're walking the dog or driving to work, working out at the gym or in the kitchen getting ready for dinner, uh, we hope you take a few minutes and enjoy this conversation between Elisa and JL Gerhardt. that you made the time to come to Nashville and be with us. Just thanks for being here. That's my joy. So delighted. So I want to just briefly introduce you. There's a long list of attributes I want to share. Of course, you're a wife, a mother of two incredible preteen teen girls, an author, a podcaster, um, a world traveler, uh, a storyteller. I think that's really key to your identity. And um and we're just excited that we get to have a relationship with you through Women of Hope. Um, you're an excellent speaker. But I, as a storyteller, I just want you to tell us a little bit about your story and, and how you got to where you are right now. Well, that's a long thing. That's like, hey, who are you? Tell us in, <laughs> in 10 seconds. No. Um, <laughs> um, I, well, I have uh, been in love with Jesus since I was a really little girl. Um, I have the, had that privilege and delight and have known him. Um, I tried to convince my family to let me get baptized when I was five, and everybody said no. And <laughs> so I asked again every year until, uh, until I turned eight, and then my grandfather said, when you're 12, you can get baptized. So I stopped asking, but then a girl at my church got baptized when she was nine, and I was ticked off, and uh, everybody finally agreed to let me get baptized. Um, but it, I, it just walking with God has been the absolute joy and privilege of my life. And uh, my grandfather asked me when I was little what I wanted to be when I grew up. And um, I couldn't imagine anything more delightful than being a preacher because that's what he was. And he just got to spend his whole day reading the Bible and talking to people about God. And uh, so I told him, I said, I just, I want to be a preacher. And, um, he smiled and kind of winked at me and, uh, and he said, how about you be a preacher's wife? And mm-hmm. I've told that to people before, and they think that it's, they're like, oh, he's demeaning. And no, it wasn't. He knew. He, he was a preacher. So he knew the advantages I'd have if I were a preacher's wife. He's like, you'll be able to do what you want to do mm-hmm. um, if you do this. And so when I started dating my husband when I was 13 years old, um, he was 15. And it wasn't long before I told him, I said, you know, I'm going to marry a preacher, and Justin says that was the moment when God called him into ministry. Love it. And, uh, and since then, we've been a team. Um, you know, we've been together now for, I don't know, we've been married for 22, so we've probably been together for 28 years, um, which is crazy for someone who's only 41. 
Uh, so we've been together for a really, really long time. And I would say that partnership is a huge part of uh, my identity, what God's calling me to do in this world. It's very much wrapped up in what my husband's doing. Um, and so for 20 years, he was a, a minister. And during that time, I found all kinds of opportunities to step into um you know, what, what it seemed like God had for me. And so I've been doing a lot of teaching and I've done a lot of writing. And I remember the first college girls class I got to lead and kind of make up the curriculum for and everything. It just felt like perfect. Like it just felt like I was stepping into what, what I was supposed to be. Um, and it's so neat to see those girls, they're all like grown now. They, they're leading women's ministries at their church and like they'll call me when they're, they're teaching one of my books or something like that. Um, so it's so fun to see what that's grown into. Uh, and then recently, um, I've been, my family has made a big shift. I think you're going to ask me about that, so I won't say anything mm -hmm. about it. But we've made a big shift, um, it seems like. But it also, I'm just doing the same old things I've always done. I'm reading my Bible every morning and praying and then writing and helping women. And that's, so my life looks drastically different and also completely the same. Yeah, let's talk about that because I, I do, I want to hear from you about how you as a family decided to um, leave your, what had been your home for so long and make your home uh, a transient thing. You know, I, I kind of get from you guys that home is wherever you are as a family, which I think is incredible. Um, but tell us about that, what that journey has been like the last few years. Um, you guys just kind of traveling the world together and making home be wherever you are. Well, we've been, we spent uh, 10 years in Austin, Texas. That's where our girls basically, uh, you know, they were born in Tennessee, but they, we were there by the time they were both two. So, um, so yeah, Austin, Texas, we were in Round Rock, which is just the northern suburb of that city. Um, we loved that church. We were there for 10 years. It was a huge part of our development. And, um, you know, we thought maybe God would leave us there forever. We, we were not, we're not people who stay still. Uh, we hadn't been. We love adventure. We love to go and see and discover. And so it was weird that God had us so stationary and that we were in this one place, uh, but we were loving it. And um, I think God accomplished amazing things in us during that time. And I think God also worked for the transformation of that church and the blessing of the communities. It was awesome. But Justin was just starting to feel this like um, really – it wasn't an itchiness. I know a lot of people, um, you know, being, because the bottom line is the story is going to be him being called away from local ministry. And um, during this time of COVID, there's a lot of stigma attached to that because a lot of preachers maybe burned out during this mm -hmm. time. Or, And for him, he would say it really didn't feel like burnout at all. Um, it felt just like he said, like he was in a room and he'd been so happy in this room for 20 years. Like he loved the room. It was exactly where he thought he was supposed to be. And then one day he looked up and the door was open and he was interested in what was outside the door. Mm -hmm. And that really is how it feels like God began to bring us somewhere new. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd felt for really about a year that God had something else for Justin. And um, and two, we both just had a lot of vision for what God might have for the church going forward. Um, and just the things that could equip the saints and local churches. And so we both had that on our mind, and we, and we were thinking in that way. Uh, and so during that time, he kind of comes to me. Justin's like, I feel like there's something next. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And I said, I agree with you. I also don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And we'd been praying, and, um, and he said, here's the thing. I think I have to go do it 
before I know what it is. He said, I think we need to like just go and then I, I can figure it out in the silence. It's really hard. Like he was leading a really big church with the staff and the responsibilities were huge, especially during COVID. And he was like, I think I need the space um, to figure out what it is that God has for us, mm -hmm. which meant we were going to have to leave. I mean, he's the sole, I mean, I make money, but he's the breadwinner. Mm -hmm. And we were going to have to leave that salary behind. And we were going to have to figure out how to live on very little. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we thought, well, we need to do it. You know, we need to take this step. It seems like God has carried us at every step so far in our lives. And we just trust that if he's got something, he'll empower it. Um, and so Justin quit his job uh, really before we had any sense of what would come next. But we did know we had to really, really, really spend a lot less money every day. Mm -hmm. And so that we rented out our house um, and we decided to move abroad uh, with a strong dollar and two just because this is America. It is just cheaper to live everywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and so we thought, well, we'll find somewhere where we can live on like half of whatever and, and we'll go. And that's what we did. And so we would just go places and stay as long as our visa would allow and then go somewhere new. Uh, we ended up in England, Ireland. We were going to go to Asia because it was so affordable, but because of COVID, we were locked out of that. And so we ended up doing Croatia and South Africa, and we were in France for a little bit, and we were just all over the place. Uh, and it was the most incredible thing. I'd heard somebody say um, that when her kids hit middle school, she'd pulled them out to homeschool them from middle school. And she said, middle school, first of all, is just the worst. No yes. one, like, fondly remembers middle yeah. school. And she was like, also, middle school is just kind of this academic zone where they just learn the same stuff they learned before or they pre-learn the stuff they're about to learn, you know. And so we were like, yeah, let's just take them out. So we did. So we've homeschooled them for this whole time. Uh, and that's just been incredible. Um, and you started this by saying, you know, home is wherever we are, that it seems like that's where we've, and I think that really is it, but it's, it's because wherever we are, that's where Yahweh is, right? Mm -hmm. That's where God is. And everywhere we've gone, we've just felt his presence in this remarkable way. We've been provided for, we've been loved, we show up as visitors. We lived in uh, London, Derry, Northern Ireland for eight weeks. And during that time, we made some of the best friends we've ever had. Um, we like served in this church in a number of ways, yeah. just in eight weeks. Uh, my kids have friends they still talk to today. Um, it just, it's just amazing. I mean, when I, and every church we would jump into on the road, every single one blessed us on the Sunday we left. They called us up and blessed us. And we didn't have any part of that. It yeah. was just this, this miraculous presence of God. It was just so obvious that he was leading us from place to place and that he was in every one of these places, right? You're not going to go somewhere where God isn't. Yeah. And, and when you really do find your identity and stability and peace and calm in him, you can go anywhere and you'll find it. And that's what we found. Um, you know, right now we're living in Northwest Arkansas. I don't know if this is home. I have no clue. Uh, we're kind of here right now until we figure out if, if that's where we're going to stay or if we're going to quote unquote stay mm -hmm. anywhere. Um, but as we sort all of that, Northwest Arkansas feels a lot like home. You know, we've yeah. found a church there that we love and, and people are pouring into us and we're able to serve there. And uh, God just gives us work to do wherever we show up, and God loves us wherever we are, wherever we show up, and we feel that presence. And um, so, yeah, I think sometimes things are scary until you do them, mm -hmm. because then you see God mm -hmm. show up, 
Um, and once he does, then you're like, oh, yeah. You, know, you kind of get addicted to it. You're like, I can find him anywhere. I want to go find him everywhere, you know? Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that. So as a person, I tend to be a person who likes to know what the plan is. Mm-hmm. And that's something God and I have to work on a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, been, or he's been working on me a lot. I'm curious about those transitions and, like, how you decided those, I guess, as a family. Mm-hmm. And then how um, – I guess how that developed at each time you did it, did it get easier and and how that grew your faith, I guess, and yeah. your girls' faith too. No, for sure. Yeah, at the beginning, um, I would say this. we I made the girls write, after we'd been in England for three months, which was the first place we went, I made them write an essay about being pilgrims. And yeah. I said, I want you to tell me things you're learning as a pilgrim. And London wrote the paper. She got it done pretty quickly and turned it in. And Eve is my person who loves writing papers. She could write papers all day. Mm-hmm. And it was just not coming for her. And I was like, Eve, where's your paper? It's not done. Eve, where's your paper? It's not done. And eventually she was crying about it. She's like, I don't want to write it. And she's crying. I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is more than she doesn't like this essay. And so I finally pulled her aside. And I'm like, Eve, what is going on? And I read the essay she'd written. And it was very generic, mm-hmm. you know, like all the right answers. And I said, Eve, this just feels like you just told me what I wanted to hear. And she said, yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she's, she was 12 at the time. And I was like, well, what, what's the truth? And she said, the truth is I feel like you guys dragged me along on your pilgrimage. Wow. You know, she's like, I don't feel like a pilgrim. Wow. She's like, I feel like I'm just here for your thing with God. And that was interesting to me and, and something that Justin and I started thinking a lot about and how to help them, how to help this become theirs. Mm-hmm. And we did. You know, by the time that we were in Ireland, I would say, uh, which really was maybe six months after that, this had really become their thing. And I think it was because they had the opportunity to watch God work, mm-hmm. right? Um, they, yes, originally we dragged them along on our thing because, I, I you know, he didn't, give Eve and London the same kind of calling, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, or the same kind of peace about that, that transition. But as they watched it work out, and as they saw that every place they went, they had friends, and everywhere we went, they were, they were safe, and that, that it was good, you know. Um, as that happened, they developed this really rich relationship with him so that when we ended, actually the last place we were as a family before we came back to the States here to stay in Arkansas um, was Egypt, and we climbed Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. And um, if you ask my girls, both of them had this just really incredible encounter with with God on that mountain. Um, And it was personal. Like it wasn't, we didn't have a family devotional on the top of the mountain. Like, each person in my family had their own relationship with God that didn't need to be led by someone else, you know? Um, they were able to have this moment with him that became their own. And I, I just, I don't know that there's, there are, God will figure out how to win you, right? Mm-hmm. As a parent, you don't have to plan your child's salvation, your child's relationship with God, because God is the one who's going to make that happen. And at the same time, we could not have planned a better way uh, right. to, to introduce them to him and to teach them to trust him. Now, you asked, like, how did we know we'd get from place to place and stuff like that? I'm going to tell you, at the beginning, I thought we had a plan. You know, I was like, we'll go here, and then we'll go here, and then we'll go here. But because of COVID, um, things just would get shut down. Right. Um, we just wouldn't be able to get into a country. Uh, it, it was crazy how not according to plan the whole thing went. Okay. Um, and at the same time, it was perfect. It was exactly what it ought to have been. Um, I mean, we ended up in South Africa 
we were going to leave at a certain time, and then we, because of things in Egypt, needed to stay for longer and had to apply for this weird visa. I mean, it was just complicated and at the same time always peaceful. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I, he, he definitely, like, closed all kinds of doors, mm-hmm. <laughs> opened others. Like, it was just a weird – you could only do it if you were fully dependent and if you were willing to just receive whatever he gave you. But he did that for us incrementally. Mm-hmm. Like, England was easy. I mean, we watch a bunch of British TV. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we got to England, and we were all like, we're just living in a Harry Potter novel, <laughs> you know. And we so England was safer, and it was a great place to teach us a little bit about his faithfulness. Yeah. And then the next place was a little harder, right? And then cool the next place was a little harder. Oh, it was perfect. It was exactly what we needed. Uh, and by the end, I mean, Egypt is the wild, wild west. I mean, it is crazy. And uh, it's a place where you can get killed for being a Christian. In fact, where Sinai is, is the most dangerous place. Um, there, there's like more terrorist cells in that part of the world than anywhere else or something like that. Um, I mean, don't fact check me on that, but mm-hmm. that's what I felt mm-hmm. as I read the report mm-hmm. on going there. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, by the time we got there, we were all like, oh, whatever. You know, we were just, done it. just complete dependence on him. And I just, I've never felt, when I read this story now about Israel following God in the cloud, um, and a cloud just being this symbol for all of us for mystery, right? It's mm-hmm. it's confusion, it's fog. It's like, I'm like, yeah, that's all God does. That's his MO. Like, you do follow the cloud. You follow the confusion. Like, lean into it. Lean into the mystery. And that's where you'll find it. Like, mm-hmm. like when you've got clarity, when you have clarity, you're probably working your own plan. Yeah. Right. Not. So you should. There should always. There should always be mystery in your life if you're following him, um, because he's just not going to reveal it all to you yeah. all the time. And as you're talking about your girls and that that faith journey that you kind of took with them in this, I was thinking, isn't that what parenting is like? It's 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 kind of dragging them on your faith journey, but then modeling for them how they get. They can have this too. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really cool how you did that. And yeah. that's a great example for all of us. We don't have to travel the world to say, yeah, I am dragging you along on my faith journey, but mm-hmm. this can be yours. Yep. And and this is what that looks like. Yep. And you have to do that on purpose because parents so often privatize their faith. Mm-hmm. And so they don't live it out loud in front of their kids. Mm-hmm. And so you have to like, if you're going through something and you are having to depend on God and you're on your own pilgrimage, mm-hmm. but it doesn't look like mine, you got to make that clear to your kids so they can see it, so they can learn from it, so that their faith can develop because of yours. Yeah, that's incredible. That's super helpful. Okay, well, I want to shift a little bit and talk about Look to Love. I think this was a product that came throughout your traveling. Um, It's been such an encouragement to me. I got to read it this summer um, on the beach, (laughs) which was really a kind of a neat experience to get to read it. But um, tell me how, uh, what inspired you to write this book? It's a really different perspective, I think, than I've ever had presented to me about looking at the Bible. So tell me what inspired that. Well, you know, Look to Love is a book about how to read the Bible to fall in love with God. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote it for, for two reasons. Like two things came together and in the middle of the Venn diagram is Look to Love. Um, I think one is I was running into a lot of women who didn't read their Bible um, or who when they did read their Bible just didn't feel like they were quote unquote getting anything out of it, right? So mm-hmm. I love the Bible. Um, I've, I have a degree in literature and I taught you know, world literature and stuff like that. I love books. So it's easy for me to enter into a book. Like, that's my love language. Um, so I've always connected with God really powerfully in the Bible. That's been our place. Um, so I wanted to do something about the Bible. 
But then I also had this other thing that I was noticing. I travel a lot. I meet a lot of women. Um, and so often they'll come up to me after I've spoken or something like that and tell me about what's going on in their life. And it really seemed to me that a lot of women were just exhausted by being good, right? Mm-hmm. Like they they were following God. I mean, I'm, I'm air quoting here. Um, in that like they wanted to do everything he wanted them to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted to... Uh, make him proud, you know, they were showing up, they were doing all the things, they were uh, being giving generously, they were, you know, getting their kids to all the right events and all of that. Um, but they were, they were just empty, mm-hmm. you know, they were exhausted. And for me, that it was so clear that it was because the behavior, the obedience to God's rules was coming first. Mm-hmm. It was like, I'll be obedient because I'm supposed to. Mm. Um, and they were hoping, I think, to obey their way into something like love, right? Something like the abundant life that God offers, that peace and joy and, and everything you find in the relationship. And that's so backward. Right. Um, because actually obedience, when it comes before love, never leads to love. It leads to um, disappointment and frustration and and a little bit of like bitterness, bitterness. toward God, right? Mm-hmm. And And so I thought, I need to help these women fall in love with God. But at the same time, you know, love is a notoriously difficult thing to make people fall into, right? How do we fall in love? And um, I ran across just some some psychology, uh, some, some studies and things like that that had great evidence to point to the fact that the main thing that brings about love is attention, that the more you look at something, the more you fall in love with it. And this made so much sense to me in a ton of ways. I mean, partly I just thought back to my Leonardo DiCaprio Titanic poster in high school, <laughs> right? And I was like, okay, like that makes sense to me. I fell more in love with Leonardo DiCaprio every time I looked, right? Um, but that we get that. Like, yeah, you know, you, you, you there's a couch at the store you like, and you keep going by after work. And every time you look at it, you fall more in love with the couch, right? Mm-hmm. And eventually you're going to have to buy the couch or your heart's going to be broken because mm-hmm. you've just seen it too many times. Um, and that's the way love works. The more you think about something, the more you pay attention to it, the more you look at it, the more you fall in love with it. And I thought, okay, this is it, right? This is this is how we fall in love with God. It's attention. It's David saying, I just want to spend my whole life gazing at you in your mm-hmm. temple, right? And so I thought, okay, yeah, David, man after God's own heart. What is that? It's because he loved him, because they had this relationship, because they were so close. You think about Moses, right? He's another perfect example. He just spends all his time staring at God and comes mm-hmm. down with this brilliant face, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that transformed Moses was paying attention to who God is, getting to know him. And the more he got to know him, the more he fell in love with them. And when you're in love with God, well, love, love motivates all kinds of stuff, right? Now, all of a sudden, you know, I tell a story about my daughter's birthday party when she was two. Um, I stayed up till two in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm spending all kinds of money on this birthday party and all of my time on this birthday party. And I'm making little cowboy sticks, like mm-hmm. horse horses on sticks and I'm, I'm decorating the cake and I'm making a little trough with things, you know, it's a whole thing. But it was nothing, because I love that little girl. And when I saw her face, when she saw every, it was just like, oh. And that's that's what love does. You know that. You've done all kinds of crazy stuff, because you were in love. And I think if we could just be in love with God, the Christian life would feel completely different. All of it would feel like a joy. All of it would feel like, oh, I can't believe I get to 
do this because I love him so much. And so that was the principle behind Look to Love. And it's just a book about how to read the Bible to fall in love with God. And this is not a new principle. Um, Augustine actually talks about this. He's like, well, if the most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, then surely the Bible exists to facilitate that command. Um, that we Everything should, else gets easier. Yeah. That we should come to the text yeah. anticipating falling in love with him. Um, and we should do that on purpose. And so all of Look to Love is just this attempt to help us read the Bible to fall in love with God. And, and it really just works its way um, through using works its way through the whole book, uh, just using that one question, which is, who is God? You know, I want to get to know him. And when I know him, then I'll fall in love with him. Yeah. And what I, so as I was reading it, what I kept thinking was, well, A, I've been a Christian most of my life and I had never been presented that that concept exactly the way you said it just now. Um, but B, I kept thinking, okay, so for people who have been wounded in some way or hurt or um, have skepticism around faith or God or religion, like this is a game changer, I would think. I think this perspective could really unlock some things for people who have maybe had the rules or the obligations kind of maybe beat into them or, or have been hurt by them in some way. Mm-hmm. And so talk to me about that. I can't, I imagine that was a lot of your ambition in this. And have you heard that from other people or have you seen stories where people have said, yeah, this, this is healing for me. Yes, I definitely have heard that. Um, there's a chapter at the end that's on wrestling with God, and it's about how when we're in relationship, when you love someone, uh, you are willing to argue, like you stay to argue, right? We know that um, that divorce happens when a couple stops arguing, not when they're arguing. And I talk about, like, that's the thing with God. Like, when you love him, you're willing to stay to fight. And, and you know, we've got so many examples from the Old Testament. Like, God literally names his people the wrestlers. They're the God wrestlers. That's what Israel means. And um, and so this, this, this struggle is inherent. Like, it's supposed to be in our relationship with him if we love him. And I think that's just that permission, like saying to people, hey, you're in a relationship. It will be hard, right? Um, and you're in a relationship. That's why it's worth fighting for, mm-hmm. right? I think a lot of us have given up on religion um, because it wasn't worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. It's easy to give up on a system. Set of rules, yeah. It's much harder to give up on a relationship, yeah. right? And so if you're truly in love with him, you, you don't want to give up on him, and you're willing to fight for him. And hopefully I think that's what this book can lead people into. It's just like, hey, let's just put church on hold for a second, whatever you've experienced there, because there probably have been really rough things that have happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just put that on hold. Let's move to the relationship. Um, and when you decide you're willing to fight for the relationship, then you'll figure out how to stay in church, right? Like I think you learn how uh, to accept the things that are imperfect. You learn how to navigate the relationship because it's worth it. It's worth it. Things don't have to be perfect. Things don't have to be just right uh, because you love him and and that's all that matters. And that will anchor you Mm -hmm. to what matters. Yeah, that's excellent. And so thinking about Look to Love then and, and the reach of that, like the podcast, talk to me about the podcast that you started back in February. I imagine that that has extended the reach of this message to people that maybe would not have had the opportunity to pick up the book, um, but there's a different way to engage with this message of falling in love with God. What have you seen with the podcast and, and that reach? Well, I hope it has. I hope it has expanded it. I think what has been... Um more common has been that people get done with Look to Love and then they want to keep going. Mm -hmm. Like they want to know 
how to do this all the time, like more practically. And so I'm working through each book of the Bible and showing you how you can look for God in each book of the Bible. Um, And I love doing it, so Mm -hmm. I will keep doing it. Mm -hmm. I have no idea, like, how many other people love it. (laughs) But it's one of those things that I just, all I want to do is open the book of Hosea and ask the question, who is God? And so often when I'm creating these, um, I mean, I'm just crying, you know, or I'm just beaming. And I get done, and I'm in this terrific mood, and Justin's like, what did you do? I'm like, I just did my podcast, you know, (laughs) because I love spending time with him that way. All that podcast is is just an opportunity for me to gush about the person I love, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I I, I love that. Justin and I actually um, recently have, and I'll talk some about Holy Ghost Stories in a second, but we just started this – nonprofit organization called Hazefire Studios, and our vision for it is that it would be a place where stories become worship. And for me, um, that's what I want to do is I'm engaging with these stories in scripture. I want them to become more than a set of facts, more than something that's like entertaining, more than something that's going to teach me about how to learn. Uh, These stories, when you really engage with them properly, become the glory of God, right? Mm. God is glorified in these stories, and you're swept up and carried uh, to him in that act of worship. And so when we come to scripture, yes, we can learn. Yes, we can be edified and inspired and given hope. But also, right, we ought to be entering them in this worshipful way where we turn what we see back toward him and offer it up. And that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast. And that's what I love about the way that you teach, even in your books. I feel like um, it's really easy to read a book and go, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. I get that. But then it's like, if I haven't practically done this my entire Christian life, mm-hmm. how do I actually do this? Mm-hmm. And so I love the practical part of the podcast of just like, oh, yeah, okay, I get that. Let me go see if I can try to do that myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's almost like you're, t- you're teaching us to, to read the Bible again, and I love that. That's good, incredible. Good, yeah. That's my joy. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Holy Ghost Stories, too. You guys are both kind of pro podcasters. Um, my family are, I was telling you, are huge fans of Holy Ghost Stories. I kind of do want you to talk a little bit about how Justin got into that. It is, to me, a radically new concept, too, around uh, how to approach the stories of the Bible. And even for me, it's been a cool way to engage my kids. So talk a little bit about that. So Holy Ghost Stories is the project that bloomed out of our um, Justin stepping away from preaching and and waiting and figuring out what God wanted. Uh, Holy Ghost Stories is, uh, I always use the word cinematic. Um, There's not like, I don't know, horse sounds or something like Mm -hmm. that, but it's a fully scored, uh, very well-crafted telling of the Old Testament stories. Um, It's not like the chosen in the, it doesn't add thing, not not that, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, he's just trying to be as absolutely accurate to the text and time period as Mm -hmm. possible. So like if there's a bird in the, episode, it's because that bird did live in that time, in that place, would have been present at that time of day. He's very particular about all of it. Um, But it's amazing. I mean, it just really builds out the world for you. It allows you to step into scripture in a way that I never have. Um, And I think the thing that is really at the heart of what he's trying to do is helping to introduce us to Yahweh, right? These stories exist to introduce us to him. And um, he's really making an effort to make him a character in every story so that you are aware of his presence and his working. Um, But they're just beautiful. I mean, just Mm -hmm. stunning. I cry every single time I listen to one. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're all like about between 30 and 45 minutes. Um, And this has really been just a 
a work of love for him. Mm -hmm. And it's been crazy to watch his journey with God as he's made it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's just transforming him in the most beautiful ways. I'm like, I mean, I had a good husband before, (laughs) but I feel like Holy Ghost Stories turned my husband into this like really fantastic human being who's full of the spirit of God. Um, So it's been a cool thing that the podcast, you know, began, he just launched it, um, I don't know what, two years ago. And, uh, and it's just reaching every, it's in every state in the country. It's, I think there's like 55 countries that are listening. Um, You know, he's got a big listenership in Australia and England and Mm -hmm. all over the place. And it's just been so cool. He's had opportunities to talk to people all over the globe um, about these stories and about, about our God. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited about it. It's, you know, I'm, I'm the editor. That's my job officially. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I'm also jumping in and and doing stuff like helping to manage events and things like that, that he's doing. He's also taking it and performing it, these stories live places and, um, yeah, it's been so cool. His name's Justin Gerhardt. The podcast is Holy Ghost Stories. Awesome. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah, I'm excited about the future of that and where that's going to go. Me too, me too. It's really cool. So tell me how you got connected to Women of Hope. You were a keynote speaker in 2019. I got to hear you yeah. there for the first time. Tell me about that relationship, how it came to be, and what your journey's been like then coming into Women of Hope. Yeah, I think the first time I spoke for Women of Hope might have been 2017. Um, and then I did it again in 2019. Yeah. Um, and I think I probably got connected um, with this conference through some friends of mine um, who were doing beautiful work in the kingdom, and, and I sort of just got to know them through the internet. I think she actually reached out to me because I was up at 2 a.m. one night, and I was like, hey, if you're a reader of mine, I'd love to pray for you. If you've got something going on, tell me. And she messaged me out of the blue, and she's like, I had this thing going on. And so we were praying back and forth for each other. And then I think she um, recommended me to, to Women of Hope. And uh, I got to talking and have become great friends with Jana uh, Owens. We, we pray for each other every day. Um, and so I'm just a huge fan of the work that Healing Hands does um, and love this conference. I, I think it's absolutely beautiful whenever you can get women from from so many different places to come together in one room and to encounter God. You know, if God, if the Holy Spirit really dwells in us, um, and then we bring more of us into the room, right? And then you bring more of us into the room. It's like this expansion of his presence. Um, And I feel like when you walk into a room with I don't know, 500,000 women, whatever, um, and all of them carrying the spirit with them, uh, it just becomes this really, really holy moment. Uh, And I always feel like this conference is something particularly special. Yeah, you were mentioning earlier that you you have kind of gotten a sense recently that you feel like the kingdom and God's people are ready for more unity. Say, Say a little bit about that again. I just thought that was great. I really do. I thought maybe going all around the world, right, that you'd discover diversity, that you'd see a lot more of like, oh, here's one way, here's one way, and and you'd find people kind of siloed in their difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I actually found, I think especially outside of the U.S., but I think the U.S. is ready for this, and I think we're moving into it, especially outside of the U.S., there is a great movement of unity um, among the church. Mm-hmm. Um, people are coming together who are really different from one another, who in the past have just not been partners, uh, to work together to do God's work, I mean, to bring the kingdom here. And it's been beautiful. And when I came back to the States, I was a little nervous that I might get cynical about that or jaded. Uh, But I was just talking to somebody the other night, and he was talking about a youth event his church is about to put on, and every single church in his town is coming 
no matter the denomination, they're all coming. And I was just like, that's amazing. You know, that kind of participation with one another is beautiful. And when we can get past the things that really are truly small, that are keeping us apart, um, and rally around the things that matter. I mean, what what might God do? I mean, that's the thing. Jesus is like, hey, people are going to know you. What are they going to know you by? They're going to know you by their, by their love. They're going to know you by your unity. You know, Ephesians, the whole book is about how the miracle of the church is that we are so different mm-hmm. and that we, we love each other, that okay. we're one body. And how could people this different be all together? Um, well, that's that's what won the world, right? I mean, that's why the, the church should be, went from this little tiny thing until this huge thing because everybody could find belonging. Everybody could come together around Jesus. He's a great uniter, right? And uh, I think that's happening, and I I really hope for it. I mean, that's what I'm praying for, and I I think it is happening. I think part of, you know, COVID was was a winnowing, right, a pruning. And every bush grows after it's pruned, Mm -hmm. right? So I think we're, we're about to experience some really exciting growth. I think that's the cool thing that we get to see here at Healing Hands, uh, both in in the work that we see with the people who are engaging with us here in the U.S. And then I just returned from Malawi and getting to, to me, it's a taste of heaven to get to worship with like our African brothers and sisters. Mm. And, you know, there were songs that they invited us to sing in English while they sang in their language. And ah. I think that is what the conference is supposed to to be about the mm-hmm. healing hands gets to set the stage for this opportunity of just really diverse people coming together because we have a common purpose to glorify God. And, and, and I think what this conference does so well and healing hands does so well is reminding people that the church is global. You can get really confused and think the church is an American thing. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, and if you do, I think you can get a little, um, misguided mm-hmm. about what the church is supposed to be, yeah. what she looks like, and when you start embracing. Like, I remember the first, well, I remember when I heard Eleni from Greece speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just, I mean, I was just crying, you know, hearing about what refugees, um, the refugees that were coming to know Christ yeah. there in Greece. And and every year, someone else comes and brings like a, a missive, right? Like yes. this, this little glimpse at what God's up to at some other place in this world. And I'm always delighted. Yeah. So we're excited about February. Uh, Jail is going to be one of our keynote speakers in February again. And I'm curious, just give us a glimpse of how um, the theme, Doors of Hope from Hosea, is I'm I'm guessing you're going to pull in some of your look to love perspective and give us just a little teaser about what you're thinking about that. Yeah, I think that is the way I'm going to go. Um, the Sarah, who I'm speaking with, she has this amazing heart for God's people, mm-hmm. and especially for God's um, underserved people, mm-hmm. right? And I think she's going to focus a lot on that as we talk about Hosea and Gomer and the position that Gomer, like mm-hmm. why is Gomer where she is and how can we love people who are in that position? And I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about Yahweh um, and talking about looking at him in that moment and um, what does he feel in that story and who is he that we get to be? Uh, his and that that we get to experience that that compassion that just doesn't run out. Um, yeah, the more I time I spend looking at him, right, the happier. I am. Mm-hmm. And the more convinced I am, as we talk, you know, women of hope. So this conference is called. It's about hope. Mm-hmm. Like hope comes from somewhere. Hope is not this thing that you just will yourself into. It's like I'm gonna have hope because I'm supposed to, right? Hope comes from knowing that something's true. And in Hosea, um, we find this God who is so faithful and there is no reason for you not to have hope that he will be a safe place for you to come back to that he will always love you that he has a future for you right that hope is not 
rooted in, in, in a fairy tale. It's, it's rooted in truth. It's rooted in who he is. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk some about that. I'm so looking forward to it. I hope if you're listening that you will save the date and you can actually go ahead and go register on our website at hha.org so you don't miss out on what Jennifer's going to share with us February 3rd and 4th uh, here in Murfreesboro. So as we wrap up, Jennifer, I kind of want to know, um, we always ask our guests, who is your village? What does your village look like right now? Mm. And then I also want to know what's next for the Gearhearts and where we should be looking for you guys. Uh, well, my village... I've been, it's been crazy to me, and my village is bigger than this, and there's so many people that um, God's using to, to pour into me right now and ways he's asking me to pour out. But a way I've been surprised is in my two teenage girls. Mm. Um, you know, you go as a parent for years and years and years where you're just pouring into your kids, and it's, it's, that's the relationship, and you need other people to pour into you. And uh, we just have turned a corner in the last couple of years where my kids are the ones taking care of me. You know, London is the one being like, did you remember this and this and this? And, and on the way here, both girls praying for me for this oh. podcast and – um, they've just become, they've become the voice of God to me. And uh, it's so extraordinary to be on a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what my husband and I felt like as God is calling us into maybe maybe more or deeper or harder territory, um, he's equipped us with these little partners, mm-hmm. right, who are more than we could ever ask for. And, and they're enabling our family to go quicker because they're on board, they're partners. You know, this isn't our thing anymore. It's mm-hmm. our thing. It's the four of us. And uh, so they're they're definitely my village. I'm I'm a big London and Eve fan right now. Awesome. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and for the Gearhearts, I mean, really, it's just more the same. Um, I'm excited about a book project I'm working on right now um, that's a, about a lot of the hard stuff that I had to go through, um, you know, about, about – 10 years ago. Um, it's about particularly about a season of difficulty and it's about how we encounter God in the middle of that difficulty and the generous ways he shows up. Um, so I'm writing about that. Also, we're, um, we're thinking of more Holy Ghost Stories live opportunities, which is really fun. I love bringing that podcast to people. Um, and Justin's working on a season four and the whole season is going to be the Exodus, which is crazy cool we actually went to Egypt to like we swam in the Red Sea and climbed Mount Sinai and did all that stuff to get ourselves ready for this season so I'm super excited about that story because it's the story Jesus tells most often it's Mm -hmm. the story that's most often told in the Bible is is the um the Exodus so Mm -hmm. can't wait to do that so um and I think we can stay like I think we don't have that itch like you know some people you, you travel a lot and then now you have to like that's just and I think that what we've learned is not um, a discontent that keeps us moving, but a contentment that allows us to be home wherever we are. And so we've, we've pretty quickly gotten plugged in and feel feel good. But who knows? Maybe he'll have us somewhere new next year, and that'll feel good too. Well, awesome. And I know we're still going to get to benefit from your awesome storytelling no matter where you go. And Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll be around. Yeah, so I just want to <laughs> encourage all of our listeners to go check out the Look to Love podcast if you haven't already. Holy Ghost Stories podcast. Um, get the book, Look to Love. I'm sure it's available anywhere fine books are sold. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Probably have it on Target. I don't yeah. know. But especially register for the conference because then you can meet Jennifer in person. And, That's it. And yeah. buy her books there. So thanks for being here. Uh, we just really appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us. My joy. Thank you. Thanks to JL for stopping by and having that conversation with Elisa. I had so many takeaways from what she said. 
But one that uh, really stood out to me is when she said, things are scary until you do them. And wow, what it must have been like for her family as right as the pandemic hit, uh, her husband felt called to step away from his job of ministry after 20 years. And they got their two girls and they traveled the world. And um, she said, uh, home is wherever we are. And that is so true uh, for them these last few years as they lived in England and Ireland and Croatia and France and Egypt. And now because they are in Arkansas, they're calling Arkansas home. But uh, just the fact of just that taking that step out in faith and uh, wherever God led them, that's where they were going to serve. And um, so she is so right that uh, things are scary until you do them. So we greatly appreciate her and um, her words of encouragement and just sharing about her journey. So if you want to learn more about JL and her work, we're going to link to her website in the show notes where you can sign up for her newsletter. You can read her blog, details about her seven books and any of her upcoming speaking engagements. And ladies, if you liked what you heard, we encourage you to come to our Women of Hope weekend that'll be taking place in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, February 3rd and 4th. JL is one of our keynote speakers, and she'll be joined by our special guest, Ann Voskamp. You can check out the schedule for Women of Hope Weekend, register, and find all the details on our website at hhi.org backslash womenofhope. And we will also drop that link in the show notes as well. So that's a wrap for this episode. And we'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. Uh, maybe text it with, to a friend or send it to them in an email, let them know about it. If you want to learn more about Healing Hands, go to our website, hhi.org, or you can find us on the social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Na, 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 na.